Attack them fast. Welcome to another episode of Scarlet Jimmy's. Fresh off of a 49ers victory, 34-31 over the Rams. As always, I am joined by Rich Madrid. Rich, what's going on? It's going good. Uh, not much is going on. Just have family in town, trying to sneak away for a little bit and uh, do this football thing for a little bit. The 49ers, like only they could, kept us entertained the whole game. Had to overcome a bunch of mistakes, but Jimmy Garoppolo in the fourth quarter did what the offense paid him to do, and he led the team to a couple scoring drives. Defense got a stop. They held the Rams to only three points in the fourth quarter, and they came out with a victory. On this episode, we're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to go through a bunch of questions that you guys had, and we got in a lot. So thanks to everybody getting those questions in. Let's uh, let's kind of just jump right into it because there was a lot to take away from this game, man. 34-31, as I mentioned. So a lot went on, whether it was good, bad, on both sides of the ball. And let's uh, let's see let's see some of the questions we have. So first one from Caleb Sutherland: Do you think missing Ford or missing the depth with Jones, Blair, and Moore all on injured reserve is more of the reason why the pass rush is non-existent right now? Rich. Yes, and I think the biggest piece of that is as much as as good as Ford has been, he hasn't played much and I think the biggest piece of that missing puzzle is Jones because he was he's been the one who's been able to consistently get the most pressure up the middle, I think. Um for some reason Buckner has just not been able to and I think that's more of a function of teams scheming to double team him and take him away. But Jones can't underestimate the impact he's had on this line when he's in and the non-impact or how less impactful they are when he's out. Yeah, Jones is Jones was amazing. I mean, I, I know his PFF grade isn't great, and I know a lot of people ride or die by that. But just for what he's asked to do, I thought Jones has just been like a hell of a player. And honestly, one of the better He's he's probably the most underrated player on the defense, but he like in my mind he's he was one of the better players and most most important players on the defense. And we're definitely seeing the issues, whether it's the run game or just getting getting pressure. So yesterday or Saturday's game, this is being recorded by the way Sunday afternoon, but um in the game the three rushers that normally get pressure continue to do so: Armstead, Buckner, Bosa. And what we've seen earlier in the season anyways was while those guys are getting pressure, you know, causing the quarterback to move around the spot, whether it's DJ Jones, whether it's Ronald Blair, Demontre Moore, and obviously D Ford, the whoever the fourth rusher was, was taking advantage of their opportunity and they're finishing. And what we're seeing is whoever it is, is not finishing and it's really hurting the defense. They're just not able to. And this is why I am in the camp that. You know, sacks do matter. Obviously, it doesn't tell the whole story, but the 49ers were able to get sacks earlier in the season. And that's why they were able to get off the field. Pressures are great. I mean, it disrupts the offense and it leads to generally negative plays. But what we're seeing in the last two months is the lack of sacks are really hurting the 49ers defense. And they didn't get any sacks against the Rams. And PFF Jeff actually had a really good tweet about this. So Bosa, Armstead, Buckner, they had 115 pass rush snaps against the Rams combined, 18 quarterback pressures. Um, Solomon Thomas, Sheldon Day, Contavia Street, and Jeremiah Valoga 
all had 81 pass rush snaps and they only had one quarterback pressure combined. And as I mentioned, no quarterback sack. So they're, whoever that fourth rusher is, isn't taking advantage. And that's really just been, um, it's been detrimental to the 49ers success. Uh, next question, Nate Ward. Do you think our late season issues are more of a fatigue issue, an injury issue or an opponent issue or more likely a mix of all three. Yeah, I would imagine it is a little bit of the above. Like we mentioned, so leading up to this game, the defensive line, they just 90, 90% of the snaps almost, it feel like, at least the three, you know, the big three. So there's nobody to, to give them a blow. There's nobody to give them a breather. Earlier in the season, Armstead was able to play inside and out. Now he's predominantly just playing outside because, again, you're not going to take him off the field or bump him inside to play a lesser player. Um, there's nobody to take both off the field. And obviously, Buckner never really came off the field as it is. So they're fatigued. And I think it's showing up. We they All three of them played 73% of the snaps. And their pressure numbers were a lot better. So obviously, rest is going to help them and make them better. But you, you do have to give credit to... The opponents as well. McVay had some nice wrinkles. And, I mean, Sean Payton is Sean Payton. The same can be said for just Baltimore. Baltimore is a tricky offense either way. But I think it's a mix of all three. And, you know, I'm, they gave up. This sounds really weird to say on the heels of giving up 31 points. But it's a lot of just simple mistakes that they weren't making earlier in the season as well. And we can go over that once we get into some of the coverage stuff. What do you think? Uh, what what would you pin the reason down to is the reason for just the, the, the recent issues? I'm just, I'm hesitant to use the fatigue issue um, because you just never, I mean, these players are in good shape. I mean, yeah, the game takes a toll on them and everything, but it's just watching from, you know, the couch. It's hard to see if a player is actually tired or are they just, supposed to be doing something different with their assignment you know we just don't really know a whole lot about that I, I would maybe say that it has a little bit to do with it just because of the amount of snaps but outside of that there's just really no other way to tell injury I think is the biggest factor I think I saw Kyle Madsen tweet the other day yesterday actually during the game that they're missing a starting linebacker starting defensive end or starting defense yeah starting defensive end starting defensive tackle starting safety, I mean, you know, for most teams outside of that depth, outside of those starters, that depth is really not there. And we're seeing that with the 49ers. I mean, there's there's a big talent discrepancy with some of the guys that are these backups. You know, Harris replaced Tart, but Harris hasn't been the greatest. <clears throat> and I think that's probably one of the bigger issues. So I think injuries probably have more to do with it than fatigue. And then opponents, I would say also, we're, they're playing a tough back half of the schedule you know they've had to deal with this starting with the Seahawks and then the Cardinals I mean the Cardinals aren't bad but they certainly gave them fits um don't know what to make of that Packers game again there's just the pass rush ate up the the Packers line pretty much but you know that game could have certainly been a lot closer than it was and the Packers are still a good team Everybody knows about the Ravens, the Saints, you know, the letdown game with the Falcons. I mean, the, the back half of the schedule has not been kind to them, and we kind of knew it wouldn't be with a handful of those, te- you know, those teams in there with winning records that are all going to be playoff teams. It's You're not getting the Browns and the Redskins and the Panthers and Bengals and stuff, you know, in the back half. It's They're all better teams. So I think that's another big factor. 
Yeah, and that matters. And I know the Falcons' record might not reflect it, but there is a lot of talent. And as we saw, Julio Jones is not easy to stop. All right, next question. And this was a pretty popular question for obvious reasons, considering how the game went last night. Should the 49ers consider starting Emmanuel Mosley over Achilleo Witherspoon? And whenever a cornerback gets beat in any game, there's always going to be pull him, bench him. And people wanted to bench Richard Sherman. I mean, people... People want to bench Fred Warner whenever he does something bad. So there's there's always fans that just want to rip their hair out when, you know, anything goes wrong. And obviously, you know, Witherspoon had a night to forget last night. He had a, had a missed tackle. He gave up two touchdowns. Um, it was his stats were three receptions on five targets for 58 yards, two of them for first downs. And then obviously the touchdowns where he's just so we have to give the alignment credit, but. He has to also react and know that, just read leverage and know that, um, you know, the, the receivers are going to go inside, wherever it was. And he, he, Witherspoon just wasn't in a position to make a play. So on the season, Witherspoon is allowing 51% of his passes to be completed towards him. That's on 45 targets. That is really, really good. Like, that is very, very good. I imagine that's near the top. His success rate heading into yesterday was it was near one of the tops, but Emmanuel Moses was as well. So Witherspoon is at 60%, and that was before yesterday. That number is going to plummet for sure. Um, Mosley was at 62%, and on the season, Mosley is allowing 60% of his receptions to be caught as well. Mosley's been great, and I thought Witherspoon has been great as well. And he just had a he had a tough game, and he had a tough game against the Falcons. So, you know, when you, have, when you string together back-to-back performances, especially um, – you know, when you're not just in the when things are going poorly as they are for the defense, it's easy to want to pull the plug on Witherspoon. But I, I, I really wouldn't, man. I think that he he does do a lot of things for the defense. I think he's a very good run defender or at least aggressive when I say that. But Mosley is as well. So I get the I get wanting to put Mosley in the game. But I'm not going to take Witherspoon out just considering how the season has gone as a whole. And I don't think that they're going to run into too many more tough matchups like Julio Jones or take just looking at some of the touchdowns that happen. Like he's in he's in a bunch set like the Rams did a good job of grouping their receivers together and kind of. When you are in like a trip situation where Witherspoon was and the guy has to run across the entire field and you have zero help, there is not going to be many players in the NFL that are going to be able to um, keep up with him. And then there was another play where, if you guys remember, so the Rams, again, they're in like a three-by-one set. And Witherspoon, it almost looked as if he he kind of went up towards Woods and then just reacted way late. His reactions were just essentially late all day, and and that was the issue. What do you think? What um, would you bench Witherspoon for Mosley? No. And as Eric Crocker always says, you don't just take a guy out like that who is going who's going to struggle. You know, just because he struggles a few times, you got to let them play through it. <clears throat> and you know, I mean, the Rams, like we keep saying, the Rams aren't a bad team. Um, Cup, Cooks, and Woods, they're some of the fastest guys in the league, you know. So I don't i don't think there's anything uh, that they should, you know, they should really do about Witherspoon. I think they should keep him in. I don't think he should be benched. And on a couple of these routes, I mean, 
yeah, you know, you could argue Witherspoon got beat on both of them, but they're also really good play designs by the Rams. And, you know, Sean McVay and Shanahan in this system, they really eat up that cover three defense. I mean, they're just everything they do. They just, they, they know the rules of the defense and they just, they beat you playing it. So it's just, some of it is that some of it is, you know, Witherspoon probably not taking the best angles or getting beat inside on a couple of these plays. And some of them are just really good routes and really good play designs. I don't think there's anything anybody else could have done in that situation. And I don't, I don't like saying this, but I don't know if Mosley would have done any better against that. I mean, he had his he he had his ups and downs against Julio Jones. So I mean, you really want to take a chance and put him in against some of these other faster guys. You know, I don't know. I don't think that's the way to go, though. I think they need to stick with who they have starting right now. It is, and and Witherspoon, he's been playing very well all season. And just seeing going back to like the two plays that are going to stick in your mind. The one where he gave up the, I think it was like just outside the 20-yard line, the touchdown to Cooper Cup where he had to chase him all across the field. They are in, the 49ers are in a cover one, and they'd have this cover one, what I what I'm, I know it as cover one jump, where the free safety basically robs all crossing routes. Marcel Harris, for whatever reason, is chasing God knows what route and vacates the entire middle of the field. So it looks like it's on Witherspoon. And yes, it it is on Witherspoon to be in a better position. But when you have no help and that the way that the 49ers have played this all season, Jimmy Ward's done a fantastic job at taking away routes over the middle of the field. He wasn't the free safety on this play. Harris was and Harris is just nowhere to be found. And I'm just not going to credit or just, you know, Blame it all on a quarterback, a cornerback, when he has to guard a receiver for 50 yards. And on the one to Woods, where is deep, Harris is in the box this time. And there is number three. He's lined up on number three, who is Woods. And he just, like, lets him run right by him. And I'm not sure how, you know, their coverage rules work underneath. But I know that when there is a receiver and you're lined up, like, as the apex, quote-unquote, you just have to get a hand on him. And there's just way too many free releases. And, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I Think that they really a lot of the, a lot of the problems come back to Harris to me. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna, I I'm going to eat my words on Harris because I thought he was really one of their rising stars last season just by the way he played at the end of the season. And I'm looking at the play where they're in that trip stack and Woods runs the corner route, and I I don't know what Harris is thinking. I don't know if he's supposed to get a a jam on him or not a jam, but maybe reroute him in some way, but he runs right by looking for that shallow crosser. And, and you I see don't Witherspoon is like pissed afterwards. Like, you yeah. know, like knows there's some sort of mistake. And somebody when somebody did. does see cornerbacks always cornerbacks are going to do that, but you just cannot have a free release. And Harris is a physical player, but the coverage, he's just not picking up what they do in coverage. And that's why, Tart is such a big factor because he is such a smart player and he understands offenses and route recognition and just combination patterns where this was not an issue when Tart was in the game, which leads me to believe again, a lot of this comes back to Harris, but um, let's, let's get, let's move on. So another big issue yesterday that a lot of people noticed what, so Matt Breida had zero snaps on offense. He did not step onto the field. If you recall against the Falcons, Brita fumbled the ball, had a big fumble, and he—I believe—was two plays prior to that he fumbled again. So Brita, 
I don't think he played after that, did not step on the field for the offense. He did play in on special teams. I think I believe he was covering kicks and covering punts. But yeah, what so what's going on with Brita? Do you think that they just completely gave up on Brita? Or do you think this was just like a hey, don't do it again? This is your punishment. Like what what do you think would happen there? I don't know. That's really weird because everyone was saying that he was he looked good in warm-ups, didn't seem to be bothered by anything. Uh, he was active, and he was standing by the subs all night. If it was a punishment thing, I just that that's probably my one gripe with this coaching staff, and Shanahan in particular, is they just hold... It's like they're coaching a high school team, man. They, just, <laughs> they hold... Yeah, I mean, that's what... Because that's, that's what you do in high school. If somebody makes a mistake, you yank them. At least that's what we did. Dante Pettis. Yeah. I mean, Pettis has been in the doghouse all season. And now Brita's in the doghouse because he had a mistake in the last game. I mean, I, I don't know. I I, th- I, I kind of think that's petty. And if it's doing it to to serve a purpose or to prove a point or to punish someone, I just kind of think that's lame. I mean, these guys are adults getting paid to play this game. You know, I, I don't know. I But then again, if my boss did that to me or whatever, I wouldn't care because I'm still getting paid. But um, I just think it's... It's just, it's probably one of the most bizarre things to me about this coaching staff. I don't, you know, we didn't get, I don't think anybody gave a reason why. I haven't seen a reason. I'm searching for a reason and no one has said anything. Nope, so. no reason at all. Mostert played the majority of the snaps. Coleman obviously mixed in, but usually it's been, it mixed Breida in. I think Breida is just far too talented, in my opinion, to ignore, completely phase him out of the game plan. He is a walking big play. Like he has proven that. If you give him the ball 10 times, the odds that he breaks one are very good. Like he's probably going to bust like a 20 yard play in some regard. So, yeah, he uh, especially for this offense who who thrives on big plays, like they lead the league in big plays. You would think that Shanahan would find a way to get him involved. So, yeah, we're going to see next week um, against the Seahawks because, you know, you, again, in a, in a big game, that means everything. You would you would think that you would want all hands on deck in the situation. So, yeah, that'll be. That'll be interesting to see. So let's see. Let's get to some of the other questions. Let's see what we have here. What improvements, changes do you think Sala Salas will make on the D line, and how much do they match up against? That? That's just a terrible question. Never mind. There, here's he's asking. <laughs> that was Yeah, that. <laughs> um. How much of the fault on the big play lies with Ramsey, and why does Kittle leave pass protection instead of bringing in another tight end? Let's let's stick with the Ramsey one. So that that's a good talking point. So the very last or one of the very last plays of the game, Kyle Shanahan stones. By the way, third and third and forever, third and long does not mean you have to run the ball. I promise you, it does not. The defense is probably going to be aggressive. And they are probably going to be in some sort of coverage where they are expecting an underneath route. Kyle Shanahan knew that the Rams are a heavy quarters man team and took complete advantage on this play. So um, if you recall, Emmanuel Sanders is running a deep post route. He, he does a really nice job of stemming his, his route wide. So that widens the cornerback who is Ramsey with him. Ramsey is expecting help over the top. The safety takes Sanders' stem and just gets way too wide with him, 
which opens up the entire field. Jimmy heaves it up. Sanders comes down with it. First down, Robbie Gold kicks a field goal. Ball game. So when I was – obviously, so I love to just tweet BS, by the way. I'm going to say it's on Ramsey, even though it's not. Um, it's pretty clear that the Rams are in trail coverage. And, and Wade always – like he's a big trail coverage guy. That's They run two man. It's going to be trail coverage, especially on third and third and long. So Ramsey, the way that he's playing, as you can see, he's just sitting there. When you are when you see a receiver sprint five yards off the line of scrimmage and the cornerback doesn't move, you can probably expect that it's some sort of trail coverage or the cornerback is expecting help over the top. So I don't think that play is much to do with Ramsey at all. He needs to probably open up a little sooner and run with Sanders, but that's on Rap. Like Rap, the uh, Taylor Rap, who's the safety, the rookie safety, who actually plays a lot of linebacker for them as well. He uh he just can't fall for the route. It was a good route by Sanders, but he just can't open up like that. Uh, what did you see on that play? Uh, I looked like they were in cover five to me, which is Wade Phillips two man in his playbook or whatever. But I didn't. Th- I thought it, you could place a little bit of blame on Ramsey because he just. If he's playing a trail technique, he still has to react and follow, and he let Sanders blow right by him before he took off running. And, and Ramsey's a fast guy, so he's gonna he's gonna catch up anyways. But I think you can put something on him because by the time Sanders gets 15 yards downfield, Ramsey is supposed to be on that outside hip underneath, and he's nowhere to be found when that ball's thrown. And then you put the second half of the blame after the ball's thrown on Rap because he widened with the route. And this is one thing I love about Shanahan's offense is he's running a post route, but if you look at some of Shanahan's play designs, they option, option, option. Yeah. They, they widen a lot of routes that you would think, you know, you were taught as a kid to run straight and then break in or out, you know? So they, they do a lot of that type of stuff with their route running and that's what Sanders did. And so, you know, rap thought that he was probably running out toward the numbers and going to stay outside the numbers. And that's why he got out there. All of a sudden Sanders is breaking to the post and there's nobody in the middle of the field because the safety on the other side is on top of the vertical route on the opposite side. So it's probably a little bit on Ramsey, mostly on rap and it's just a really good play design. It's essentially like a, a widened scissors concept because the inside receiver is running that corner route. So, I, I mean, it's got to be somewhat on Ramsey, I, I would think, and a combination of all three of those things, good play design, bad coverage by the two. It was, yeah, and that's probably the best way to put it, just the best of all worlds where Ramsey, I mean, you just can't be lazy like that and just kind of give up. No, it's just because you're in trail position from off coverage doesn't mean – he was clearly sitting on a route yeah. expecting it to be and, like seven yards or whatever. And trail coverage, I mean, you're still supposed to stay on the guy's outside hip like that with the oh, yeah. safety over the top. So he just didn't do a good job of doing that. He was flat-footed as soon as Sanders ran by him, and that was it. No, it was. It was. So, all right, let's 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 move on. So next question. One of the big ones, and I, I – here, let's just get to it. I don't understand why we sit Jimmy G in the pocket instead of getting him out to be a playmaker more often and throw it away quicker and don't take critical sacks. So 
there's a lot going on in this question, obviously. So we we really didn't see Jimmy on the move yesterday until late in the game. And what do you know what happened? They they scored on both possessions. There was one play where also on the third down throw to Kittle. It was a great job by Jimmy. Just, you know, buying time. He I think he's really, really good when he gets outside the pocket. And obviously you don't want to cut the field in half all the time as, you know, in the NFL because it just makes life easier on the defense when they only have to defend half a field. But Jimmy's very good when he's on the move, can use his legs, can kind of scan the – I think he sees the field better. And you can can, um, argue with me there. But I think he sees the field better when he's on the move and when – I guess the best way to put it is when there's chaos around and when the bullets are flying, whether it's – you know, guys flying, guys coming off blitz or whatever it may be. But he does a good job of scanning the field. He found Kittle on that play. There's a couple other plays where he's just rolling out. And, yeah, he just looks more comfortable when he's on the move. And it, do, it doesn't have to be in every possession or in every down throw where, you know, you're rolling, you're booting, and you're moving the pocket for Jimmy G. But it just it doesn't seem like it happens enough. And knowing that you're playing a Rams team, I thought Kyle Shannon did a good job early on of just going to the screen game and it loosened up the Rams, but it kind of went away from it for a long, long time. And that, uh, that kind of, the 49ers offense was stagnant when, you know, they were just going pass, pass, run, run, just, you know, basic drop back throws. So yeah, I agree. I think that Shanahan needs to do a better job of moving Jimmy around and he just seems more confident in that case. What do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I definitely don't like putting him in third and long situations all the time, especially with, how Shanahan likes to run on first down, not get anything, and then run on second and ten. I, I absolutely hate that. Um, second and you know your second down play is kind of where you want to maybe hit play action, and that that's what the Rams were doing. That's why they were successful with it, and then maybe hit play action on first down. But my initial impression is that why doesn't he scramble? Why didn't he scramble more or try to get on the move a lot more? Is I don't think. Outside of the design, play action, or boot passes, I don't think he was able to. I, I think they did a good job of collapsing the pocket around him and not giving him a lane to step up into. Yeah, I mean, he's not a running quarterback, but he is athletic enough that he can take off and make a play with his legs. And, you know, the Rams know that. They know that anything up the middle he's not going to be able to get out of because he's not super athletic to to juke a guy one way or another but so I think they did a good job there um and then there were other plays where yeah you could argue he should have thrown it away but I don't blame him for trying to extend the play and look at his options and you know on some of those plays literally everybody was blanketed there were no nowhere to was nowhere to throw the pass so you can coach a guy to throw it away but at the same time I mean you're in the middle of the pocket. Are you just going to, where are you going to throw it away to? You know, I don't know. Maybe just try to try to heave one downfield to the closest receiver, but you can't always just say, well, he should have thrown it away, especially when you risk taking a, an intentional grounding penalty, because just because you throw it deep and pass the line of scrimmage doesn't mean it's not going to be a penalty. There's got to be someone in the area. And if you don't have that route to go to, or that option to go to, you just, you just can't do that. Yeah, that's true. And and I was pretty critical of Jimmy yesterday because there's even on the it was back to back sacks, I believe. And the second one where I don't know if it was the second or the first one, just trying to remember, but Brunskill like Donald beats Brunskill like from the jump off the snap. And Brunskill actually did a pretty okay job of 
kind of taking him where he wants to go. And Jimmy got sacked. And I thought Jimmy could have felt the pressure better and kind of stepped up in the pocket. I don't think that his pocket awareness was good for the majority of the game yesterday. I think it took until, you know, the those last two drives where he really kind of turned it on. But I thought that a couple of those sacks were avoidable just from a pocket presence standpoint where he's not a statue. And that's where I think that Shanahan getting Garoppolo on the move earlier in the game kind of wakes him up. And, you know, he, he doesn't he just has more awareness when he's on the move. And that kind of stays as the game goes on. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, you know, against Seattle and obviously in the playoffs as well, because, you know, they're going to need for Jimmy to be at his best. Um, a lot of the same questions moving forward, just as far as, you know, why is Tevin Coleman getting snaps over Brita? I think, I do think I give Coleman a lot of shit because, you know, he's very maddening as a running back, but I actually you think do. he's pretty you, good. <laughs> you blow up my inbox with different timestamps and it really usually pisses me off because I hate watching him run and miss holes. Um, so he was decisive yesterday. I want to give him credit, though. I thought he did a good job running the ball. He just When he just puts his foot in the ground and goes, I don't know why it's so hard like that he doesn't do it. Well, because he's – that's because on the – you know, the run – all the – so let's talk about this for a minute. All the, all the time stamps you send me, they're usually always – gap scheme runs and you have to be a patient runner and he's that's not him not well you know it's oh yeah it's the best example i can give is when harbaugh was here and he had gore and hyde for that one season you can see when they run gap scheme it's always hyde or it's always gore and when they run zone it's always Hyde, just because they're just you know three steps three steps and go whereas a gap scheme you have to be patient you have to see and wait for the hole to develop and then go and Zone runners just don't have that, and that's what Coleman is. He's a he's an outside edge runner, and that's fine. You know, it's just not it's not going to be good for your offense if you're trying to diversify the running game like Shanahan has been doing this season. So he will, you know, he, but Coleman had that nine or ten yard run that got him a little bit closer in field goal range for the game winning kick last night too. So you know, you t- I guess you take take the good with the bad and some of these guys and that that's really all that matters i guess yeah i think coleman had another i believe it was like a, a double digit run where it was yeah. run to the left and yeah he just kind of turned the bur- turn the uh turn the turbo button on and outran everybody and that's that's coleman at his finest so the, the 49ers had some success running the ball to the right yesterday they had six carries running to just right over I mean right over the center right guard six carries for 27 yards right over Brunskill two carries for 17 yards and then behind McGlinchey three carries for 20 yards and then on the right edge one carry for nine yards so they were they probably could have done a lot more damage if they just wanted to run right all night it was really it was a really good job by Brunskill and McGlinchey and obviously Kittle uh, I, I wonder, one of the questions that I was wondering was, so obviously Mike Person, who had a sore neck and didn't really practice all week, he struggled pretty good, pretty mightily against Grady Jarrett, who's a very good player. And I was wondering if Brunskill, who I think is a very good player, or who at least is, he has shown no reason to take him off the field, I guess is a better way to put it. And he, I mean, he ran into one, probably the best player in the NFL in Aaron Donald, so... Like, first of all, come on, man. Like, why would you do it to him? But you don't really have a choice because injuries. Um, I will wonder if the 49ers would have or still will 
roll with Brunskill at right guard because I think Person is a competent player, but whenever he goes against somebody like who has a lick of talent, and I mean probably any top 15 defensive tackle, Person just looks out of his depth, and it's it's not good. And we saw that with Atlanta. We've seen that a couple other times this season. What do you think they What do you think they would do? Is that just um, being too prisoner of the moment to yank a guy who's started all season and you know didn't miss a snap? I believe he didn't missed a few snaps last season. So he has a you know they they play together and that does matter. You know cohesiveness does matter along the offensive line. Would you pull person for Brunskill? No, Simple. I would keep person in there. I mean, they did all right. I mean they. You know, they were double teaming Donald most of the night. And, you know, a player like that is still going to get his. He still made his plays, you know, almost at the end of the game when they counted, too, which was kind of really make. I was mad the whole night, honestly, until they <laughs> kicked the game winner. I was stewing on the couch. I was really pissed off. But, yeah, I mean, person has just been better at that spot. And I don't, you know, when you Brunskill played majority tackle this whole season, it's just tough to go, you know, even one position over than what you were playing because it's such a different position. And it, I think in in Shanahan's scheme, it's really just difficult with all the checks and calls for, from position to position like that across the line. I mean, we saw it last year when they ended up playing McGlinchey at guard um, early in the season, and it, he had his worst grades at guard because it's not a position he ever plays. You know, you... When you have to learn so much for your position, you don't really, unless you're just a, a savant, you just don't absorb the other positions that well because you're not, you know, you're never really going to play it. So I don't, I don't think they should yank Person to put Brunskill in there. I think if Person's good to go, then Person needs to be the one in there. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and and that's <clears throat> probably just me being too prisoner of the moment e, but yeah, I do. I do worry about person when, you know, the going gets tough as it will, you know, not so much next week, but, you know, as the playoffs come more and more. So, well, right, but the other, the other side of that though, is if, you know, if, if you got better production up front with Brunskill, then maybe you do consider him putting there, you know, it's not like he's not ever going to be available to not put him there if they need him to. So, I mean, I, I, just going by what we know about this coaching staff, I think they're more likely to go back to person and keep him there until just something bad happens. But, you know, next week they're not going to, the Seahawks might be without Clowney. They're not going to have Al Woods who got suspended. So that whole offensive and, and Ansa hasn't been playing that much. So that whole defensive front's going to look entirely different than it did, you know, even the last game they played them. So, Oh, they will for sure. And so uh, let's put a let's put a bow on this one. So first of all, hats off to Kyle Shannon for being aggressive on those third downs. I thought, you know, for the most part, he was aggressive all game. Um, oh, let me see what else. Oh, excuse me, I had a cough there. So going for it, or just not so much going for it, but just being aggressive and just. I don't want to say like believing in your offense, but just not giving up, man. I don't know why more offenses do that. Why more offenses are not like the Ravens, for lack of better terms, or like the Saints, where if you just use the entire field on every down, good things will happen. 
Shanahan has done that, but he has not done that consistently this season. When he has done that, the offense is really, really tough to stop. I think it was a really good job of him by getting Debo involved early. I think Debo finished with six targets. I think he had another three or four carries. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but when you get the ball to him early, he gets confident. He breaks tackles. The offense is better when Debo has the ball in his hands. I think I don't think there's any argument to that. Obviously, you have to find ways to get him the ball, but I think moving forward as well, they can't forget about Emmanuel Sanders, and there are plenty of mouths to feed. Obviously, Kittle, you have Kendrick Bourne, you have the running backs, and then Debo, but they just balance. When the 49ers offense is balanced and they're unpredictable and they have all these motions and jet sweeps and you know quick hitting passes to go with the runs and the screen passes, they're just really tough. So that's, that's what they're going to have to do moving forward. Um, any other thoughts on this game before we move on to week 17? Not really. I was happy with the way it turned out, but I just, I, if you're not at least a little bit worried about certain aspects of the team right now, um, I don't think you're normal. There are, and I, I mean that in the nicest way possible, but there are some things to be legitimately concerned about, especially if they don't get Ford back anytime soon and not really sure what's going on there. But getting him back would just – just even him and Tart, I think, would make just that much more of a difference going into the playoffs. And maybe maybe they just – maybe they're out for another week, in which case you can probably get by without them against Seattle. It's going to be tough, but I, I don't think Seattle's the same team they were even you know four weeks ago. So who knows, but there are legitimate – areas of concern right now and I think they're mostly on defense and then maybe I'm wrong maybe it was just the back half of the schedule was really tough and we should have expected it but um I I, I'm a little concerned after last night I will be I mean there is going to obviously we're going to dig into this game a lot as we get closer to next week and we have a whole week to do it but I think you had a good point where Seattle is not the same team as they were when these last two, when the team, two teams faced. And I mean, the 49ers aren't either. Let's be honest there, but I would still, I still think that the 49ers are a significantly better team. They don't have the same type of luck. Seattle is closer to a 500 team, whereas the 49ers are closer to an, the, I mean, they're more what their record says they are. So um, the Week 17 was flexed on early Sunday to – I mean, we all knew that that was going to happen. It was flexed to Sunday Night Football. A lot riding on this one. NFC West is riding on it. The number one seed is riding on it. And I'm sure that there are 17 other possible scenarios that we're going to go through over the course of the week. The 49ers have not won in Seattle since 2011. Rich, is that right? That is correct. That was uh, week 16 of 2011. Unreal, man. So there is there is a giant monkey monkey on your back, uh, Steve Young, Jeff, right there. So this game, and the only thing that we'll touch on is what this game means to the 49ers to be able to go into Seattle when you need this like no other, because getting a bye week will not only give you a chance to get a certain linebacker back that Rich doesn't think is going to play. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to be wrong. If he, I would love for him to come back and play. I'll just say that. And I said that too at the time too. It was like I just didn't think he would. But 
parts. Um, so we're talking about Quan Alexander's injury, and we've talked about this a little bit. Kendrick Bourne dropped something on his Instagram story where, um, so I mean, they're talking, and Quan's saying that he's going to play. He's saying that there's a very high chance, a great chance, that he's going to return for the playoffs. He used some wordage where, you know, us internet folks are trying to distinguish whether he means the big one is the Super Bowl. Is it going to be for the playoffs in general? When is it going to be? J.J. Watt tore his pectoral muscle four days before Quan Alexander. And if the te- the Texans needed him to play next week, if they didn't clinch, Watt was going to play. And one of the things that people are having an issue with is putting every injury into one box. Because, it, because Google says it's a six-month injury doesn't mean every injury is a six-month. Doesn't mean... Every injury is completely torn, and from the information that I have gathered, the injury for Quan is not completely torn. He can wear a harness, and that will allow his muscle from completely tearing, um, and that will allow him to play, obviously. He obviously won't have the same type of mobility where it wasn't, but it's enough where he can play. So, I mean, you guys know. You guys saw Quan Alexander he has he meant a whole hell of a lot to the defense. I mean, his energy, everything he brings. I mean, he's a very good player. That certainly helps. But yeah, I mean, I don't even know. if he's a guy you can run out there just in passing downs, you know, getting him out there with Fred Warner in passing situations is infinitely better than having. And God love the guy. I love how Greenlaw has been playing, but having Greenlaw and Warner out there in passing downs, or Al Shire. You know, so just even that much of a difference, that much of an edge it gives you, you know, that you can see them possibly saying, yeah, let's take a chance and, and get him out there and play if they think he can play. So I think I, I think the, fine with me. Yeah, I think the uh, another part of that is, is you're not it's not we're not talking about subbing Quan Alexander for Dre Greenlaw. We're talking about subbing Quan Alexander for Dre Greenlaw and Dre Greenlaw for Al Shahir. Like that is yeah. the the domino effect is where it comes down to. But um, John Middlecoff had a very good tweet that compared this Sunday's game or next Sunday's game to a, a predominant college rivalry. So Ed O Ed Orgeron going into Bama where LSU, you know, haven't beaten Bama, and then Eddie, Eddie O goes in there, LSU wins, LSU gets their confidence, and LSU is rolling after that. And, you know, knowing that you, it's been damn near a decade since the 49ers have won in Seattle, like, that just means a lot. It's You would think that if they go in there and win, which I do think they will because they are a better team, and I bet on the better teams in these situations um, – it just I think if they win week 17, it will mean a lot for this team. And I think that they will be able to go a long way. So um, it, it's going to be an emotional. I mean, I can I can only imagine what, what's going through like Richard Sherman's mind right now. He's probably just juiced up to the max, but not just him. All these guys like it means everything to all these guys, because how many how many players I, I'm going to have to look through this and see how many players have even been in a playoff game on the roster because the the nerves, man, the nerves in this one are going to be through the roof as well. But they're going to be excited and they're going to come out to play. And it'll it's probably going to be one of the more entertaining games we've seen all season. But every game for the 49ers is entertaining. They really know how to make their fans age 10 years in one game. What how, how just quickly tell me how important this 
week 17 game is for the franchise in Kyle Shanahan? I, I don't know. I don't know how you quantify it, but it would go a long way given how the last, you know, nine years worth of games against this team have gone. You've only beaten them twice in the last, well, three times, three or four times since 2011. And two of those wins came under Harbaugh and one came with Shanahan last year at home. I, there's no way to quantify it, but you, they know the stakes. They know how much this game means. This is probably the most important game against Seattle since the NFC Championship game up here. Um, I think Shanahan would solidify his place for a long time with the 49ers if they beat them and then go on a, on a massive playoff run here. And I think you're looking at something that could probably define the franchise for a while getting this win up here, getting a bye, making a deep playoff run, possibly going to the Super Bowl. And then who knows after that? I mean, he, you know, I I hope this isn't one of those games that, you know, like we had under the Harbaugh era where it just completely breaks a franchise too. So I don't want to take, I don't want to be that dramatic and say that that's what will <laughs> I happen. Love I love it. But that we know how these games go against this team. It's always... When they mean something against this team, it fucking never works out. And excuse my language, but that game up here in the NFC Championship game was the backbreaker for five or six years until Shanahan arrived and turned things around this year. So that game set them back. That's when all the rumors came out after that the 49ers were looking to trade Harbaugh as a coach because yes, you can trade head coaches. It hardly ever happens. I don't, but that's when everything started to go downhill was that game. Um, and everybody knows what happened in that game. We don't need to recap that, but now you're back in a situation where the game means more now than it ever has since then. And you have a chance as the better team to put them away up here and make a playoff run. So I think, honestly, I think probably the playoffs start next weekend. They're they're preparing now. So what they do now is going to shape the next three or four weeks for them. So we'll see. And I cannot stress enough how much this game means to 49er fans living up here where I live right now. So... Um, again, I hate being dramatic, but I would love to roll into work after my vacation next week on the second with a win under my belt up here. So, um, I I don't know, man, I'm, I'm pumped for it. I know you are. I know a lot of people are, especially people living up here and, uh, it's going to be just incredible. I'm not going to, I won't be able to stop thinking about it all week. I'm ready, man. I'm I'm going to the game. I will. I'm bringing my good luck charm, known as my seven-year-old daughter. Um, we are going to just be talking so much trash all Friday, Saturday, and Sunday leading up to the game. I'm pretty confident in the 49ers, and I know they haven't given fans much to be confident of just by the way that they played. But this is, I mean, it's time. I guess that's the best way to put it. It's just time for them to take the next step. And I think that the playoffs started Saturday when they beat the Rams and the mindset of the playoffs started Saturday. And we saw that prevail in the fourth quarter. We will see that against Seattle. 
And as Rich said, most important game since the NFC Championship, which feels like forever ago. No pressure, 49ers. Uh, that, that'll do it for us. Rich, where can we follow you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Rich J Madrid, and also once or twice weekly with an all-22 article of the week's games and other stuff at Niners Nation. And football zebras, if you like the rules. Yeah, Rich is a referee, Stan. He sticks up for all the referees, by the way, guys. <laughs> you can follow me at KP underscore show. We will obviously be breaking down the Rams game and then leading up to the Seahawks game on Niners Nation all week. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and go Niners. I hope that recorded.